All right, here we go, DMV, stepping to the mic as usual. Ted Jeffries, Andre Jones, and we are honored to have, during our Black History Month tribute, a man who's a trailblazer. He's a North Carolina graduate, DMV, but he's got some DMV roots. So we'll get to that, Eric. Hold on, hold on. We won't give him away too early. But this is the president of Nashville Speedway. He is the first African-American to hold this title at any NASCAR track. He also was the former president of the XFL DC Defenders. And Eric, like you said, I'm not going to pay you by the letter, but I'll get through this. Senior Vice President, Managing Director, Sports Entertainment, and Special Events. Brother, welcome to Step to the Mic. Eric Moses, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be with you guys. All right, all right. Now, Ted, you got the UVA banner behind you. I'm rocking the Howard University gear, but this is a North Carolina man. Tobacco. Yeah, yeah here, here he comes. Here he comes. He, he uh, signed I, by Mac Brown. Signed by Mac Brown. Yeah, he, he and I have had many a conversation about the uh, the battles between Carolina, and I don't have much of a leg to stand on in those fights because they've got a a huge uh, this, uh, huge lead on uh, the Cavaliers, the the, the Carolina uh, Tar Heels. But that's oh. all right, man. Eric, you know, we were telling our listeners, join in. We are the the destination for everything DMV. And we are proud and honored to have you on because, like I mentioned, you're the president of Nashville Super Speedway. Tell us how you got involved with that position, why is it important to you, and tell us about the infusion of African-American presence in NASCAR right now. Yeah, so, um, you know, this is an extension of, of my career in sports and entertainment. Um, maybe an unexpected one, uh, but but not one that is that is completely foreign. So, uh, as you alluded to, I was running an XFL team in DC uh, in 2019 and 2020, and and doing great, and probably in what to that point was was as close to a dream job as I had ever had. And uh, unfortunately, we like many other businesses became a, a casualty of the pandemic uh, and shut down operations. Um, you know, during, uh, you know, April of 2020, April of 2020. And so I was, you know, hustling. I had uh, started a consulting company and was working at a, at a law firm and uh, received a, a call from a friend of mine and a fellow board member for the military bowl, which happens at, at Navy Memorial Stadium, which we helped start when I was at events DC uh, back in 2008. And he said to me, I got a crazy idea, but don't say anything until I tell you the whole idea first. And uh, that gentleman is now my boss. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he works for Dover Motorsports and, and proceeded to tell me how they owned the, the Monster Mile in Dover, Delaware, uh, NASCAR track, and also owned a, a, a track out in Nashville, Tennessee that had been closed for 10 years. They had operated mm. it from 2001 to 2011 and then you know, the business wasn't panning out the way they had anticipated when they built it. And so they closed it down and they had recently decided with NASCAR that they would bring a NASCAR cup series race to Nashville. And the cup series, it, you know, for those that don't know is the highest level of competition in our sport. So if you think about it, like baseball, the cup would be major league baseball. Uh, the Xfinity series might be compared to triple uh, a ball and the truck series might be compared to double A ball, right? No disrespect to any of the drivers. They're all great. And you have guys like Kyle Busch who will drive in all three series and circuits, you know? Um, but that's generally how it has happened. Somebody like Bubba Wallace would start off at trucks 
and then move his way up to Xfinity, or maybe even if you're good enough, you skip over Xfinity and you get a ride uh, in, in the Cup Series. So um, they decided in, in, uh, in June of 2020 to announce that uh, Dover was going to move one of their two NASCAR weekends from Delaware to the track out here in Nashville for a race in June of 2021. I got hired in August, got started in September, and uh, as I like to say, I used to have hair, but it's been on fire since I hit the ground. And so it's all burned off with me trying to get us ready for uh, our first NASCAR weekend and the first Cup Series race uh, in this market in almost 40 years. And, and you know, Eric, I wanted to come in and you, you, you basically took me to my next level. Managing sports during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. How difficult is that with social distancing, keeping fans engaged, your drivers, how much of a challenge is that for you? Um, it's why I have the bags under my eyes because I don't sleep very much uh, right now. Um, it's tough. It's tough. And it's tough for all of us. Um, you know, it's just really on a call uh, talking about these kinds of things, trying to determine, you know, how do you put on the best possible show and present the best possible uh, experience for your fans, not knowing how many of them you'll be allowed to have. And not knowing, you know, someone might say to us, the local authorities might say, yeah, you can have 75% capacity. Well, just because people say you can doesn't mean you should, right? And so we have to balance the, the desire to entertain uh, our fans and our audience with the desire to keep them safe in as much as we can. And so those are, you know, it's a, it's a dynamic environment and those things are changing every day. And we'll be in a much better place in June than we are here in February and uh, with the trend lines happening in terms of new COVID cases trending down, with the vaccinations trending up, with herd immunity also growing at the same time, we think we're going to be in pretty good shape come June. But, uh, but it's something we have to consider in, in, in all of our preparation. Well, it seems like an exciting time period because once we get past the, pan- the pandemic, African-Americans have been involved in their sports for, for, for decades. People just don't know that. Yeah. But now you have Michael Jordan. He's now become one of the faces of the sport. You have Bubba Wallace with the Black Black Lives Matter card that he sported last year. And a lot of us are getting into this whole new sphere of sports. How how engaging and how exciting is that for you as an African-American man, knowing that you've got the greatest basketball player, now he has a car in the series, and what's that going to mean for fans to your sport? Yeah, I think, that, you know, the big point is the one that you made first, which is we've been here since almost the beginning. You know, I was recently on a panel that looked at Wendell Scott's legacy. And, and for those that don't know, Wendell Scott from Danville, Virginia, uh, is the Jackie Robinson of NASCAR. He was the first black team owner and driver at the at what was then called the Grand National level. And, um, you know, we've been around like most things, we've been around uh, from, from the very beginning. And, and I'll tell you, my, my first NASCAR experience, formal NASCAR experience was in October of 2019 when I went to Dover to see a race. And uh, I came there with all the same expectations and stereotypes in my head that most people who haven't been exposed to the sport would think, what the crowd was gonna look like, whether people were gonna be welcoming or not, all that kind of stuff. And I was very surprised. I mean, there were, there were more people of color, young people, um in the fan zone but i also saw it in the pit you know funny story i'm walking in the pit uh with my then uh, pr director and uh and, and we're walking around i have an xfl um uh pullover on and a young brother is walking in front of me and he's got a fire suit on so he's on somebody's pit crew right um 
And he turns and he says, are you with the XFL? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I got the XFL thing on. And he says, you run the team in DC, right? The defenders. And, I, and so now I'm looking around for the candy camera, right? I'm, I'm like, somebody's punking me, right? Ted? I'm like, this is, there's no way. Um, and, and come to find out he was in the drive for diversity program in NASCAR, which recruits athletes into the sport and especially into the pits because it takes strength and agility and, you know, uh, determination and focus in order to get these cars in and out in 13 seconds and back out there on the track. And so he played college football and had been recruited into a pit crew. And so he knew about me because he still followed football, but he was working in a pit crew. So that was eye opening for me as someone who didn't know that we were in some of these places that I now have a much better appreciation for. Eric, you know, I don't want to put too dark of a light on this, but, you know, you start this new job as the first black in, in NASCAR and at the Speedway. You you know you talk about the challenges of you know getting this thing up and running, uh, and then in the heat of the George Floyd murder and the support for Bubba Wallace, you're immersed in trying to put you know rear ends in the seats, uh, fans in the stands, and drive up revenue for this you know amazing sport. Talk about how you balance that balance that negative kind of uh, light, um, considering what was going on in our country with what you were trying to do? Yeah, that's a great question. So part, part, of, um, part of our challenge is we have to continue to serve and super serve our core fans. They can't feel like they're being abandoned, while at the same time saying to others who might find interest in our sport, now that certain impediments have been removed, namely the Confederate flag, Mm -hmm. that you're welcome as well. We want you in the sport too. We want, we want you to experience what we're doing. And what I said to people who have said, well, you know, the social justice stuff that may turn off the core fans, what are you guys going to do about that? What I said is, look, if I love something, whether it's a sport or food or a television show or a movie or music, I want as many people as I know to love that thing as well so that I have more folks to talk to about it, more folks who enjoy the same thing I enjoy. Why wouldn't NASCAR fans be the same way? If we're going to bring new fans into the sport to experience it, why wouldn't they be interested in having that happen? And I believe that they will be. And so um, part of our plan is, is to continue to speak you know, to NASCAR fans in a way that they're accustomed to, but to also find additional ways to speak to other audiences and potential audiences in ways that resonate with them and in ways that feel authentic and credible um, and finding credible voices, whether it's Michael Jordan, Bubba Wallace, Pitbull, who is now a part team owner. Um, you know, we've got, uh, I, I was recently um, uh, involved in an article about Brianna Daniels, the, the young lady who played basketball at Norfolk State, who was the first African-American woman over the wall in the pit crew, and she's a tire changer. Um, and, uh, you know, there was a, a great article uh, about her recently. Um, representation matters. We all know that. And so people have to be able to see themselves and what you're doing to then start to get their head around, should I even be open to this thing and to this activity? And, and that's what I think NASCAR has been doing a really good job of lately. We're not abandoning anyone. That's not what you do. You don't build a sport with certain fans. You don't build a sport with certain people and then turn your back on them. That's, that no, in no sport would you do that. Even as football and basketball, Ted, you know, all these sports are trying to get younger, trying to figure out how they get my kids to be interested in sitting down and watching a whole game when they're accustomed to being on their phones or being on the PlayStation or whatever else. We're all trying to crack that nut. Well, 
in doing that, you don't just say, well, for, for, forget you and I, forget us, the guys who've been watching basketball for the last 30 years. They right. don't throw us out and then focus completely on, on 15 and 20-year-olds. Right. You have to figure out a way to speak to multiple audiences. And that's what we're doing. Gotcha. Now, now you had the, you talk about the, the experience with the XFL shirt on and, you know, walking through the pit crew. You know, our, our relationship started while you were with Vince DC in the sports uh, position that you held there. Um, and then you move on to what seemed like an incredible opportunity for this, you know, new new league. COVID hits and then all hell breaks loose and, you know, the league turns upside down. You know, talk about the elation of getting this position and how you had taken – it was on a meteoric run uh, because of your leadership. And then, you know, you get hit with this pandemic that you could do nothing about. Yeah, it was uh... – that was a first. That was the first time that I was uh, no longer employed when it wasn't uh, my choice. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, you, in, in the way you described it is perfect. I mean, I remember having my family and friends in the stadium on February 8th for our first game, which was the first game of the season. We relaunched the league uh, on ABC, you know, um, packed stadium crazy energy people just showing out for for this brand new team brand new league and we won the game in exciting fashion and so just thinking about that and 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 all the ups and downs and building that team and building our fan base and 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 really and this may sound crazy but I was you know we were going to compete I hope for a championship but even past that I was looking forward to the first real offseason because we had less than a year really to get things together for, for the season. So I was looking forward to an off season where we would be able to do all of those things that we hadn't gotten to. We'd be able to do that community outreach. We'd be able to, you know, uh, partner with the youth football leagues and some of these other things that I was trying to get to that we didn't have enough time to. So that was, um, it, it took a minute, it took a minute to digest that loss sure. um, because it had nothing to do with what we were doing. It had something to do with, with, you know, a global pandemic that was outside of our control. And so thinking about what was going to be next uh, was also challenging because the entire industry was down. The hospitality industry, leisure industry, sports and live events, everything was being decimated. And so, you know, in some ways, I consider myself very fortunate and highly favored, as they say, that uh, another opportunity came, uh, kind of a historic opportunity. I, I didn't pursue it because of that. Uh, I don't think they pursued me because of that, but it happened to work out that way. And I'm in a great city in a great place uh, that has been very welcoming uh, and, and since I've been here. I mean, people have gone out of their way to be helpful to me and, and, uh, and you know, it, it's, uh, I'm very pleased by it. So uh, yeah, highs and lows, but, yeah. but, but, but we're back on the outside now. There you, back go. On the outside now, there you so. go. And the old adage, the, the blessing in the storm, right? There's a blessing Absolutely. in the storm. Uh, you know, it, when I think about your leadership, there's leadership that you had on the field as well. So you had coach Pep Hamilton, DC mm -hmm. native, and uh, what he was representing, you know, from the area, there was a lot of fanfare about. And I, if I remember correctly, you guys had a quarterback that was lighting the league up. If that, am I correct? Well, the best quarterback was in Houston. That okay. guy ended up okay. signing with the with the Panthers. We had Cardell Jones, who was one of the bigger names in the in the league. Okay. And 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 Carlo, Cardell played played well. Uh, I think Pep would would tell you he he wanted him to play better. 
Um, but right. uh, but he was he was he was a great ambassador, not only for our team but for our league, and 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 people people loved him. And he and I still kind of keep in touch uh, from time to time and check on each other. So I, I loved our team, man. I loved I loved obviously Pep and I still talk. Uh, I love Pep, his family. Um, and the coaching staff he had put together and the team we put together, man, it becomes, as you know, I mean, as a, as a, as a high level D1 athlete, I mean, you know, there's something about being involved in teams where everybody just starts to fall in like family. Absolutely. Andre, you know, little known fact, while Eric was with uh, events DC, um, he was, I don't want to say solely responsible because he had an amazing team of people that I got a chance to meet. But the the HU Bowl, as I want to call it, I know, I know it was officially called something else. So as a Howard University grad, you might want to jump in, jump in and represent for your squad here. But he was responsible for bringing that game to uh, to D.C. where Hampton versus Howard University. Eric, talk, talk about the culmination of how, I mean, two HBCUs, uh, you know, with a lot of fanfare, uh, a lot of pride as, as this gentleman here with the glasses on, the other gentleman with the glasses on will, <laughs> will probably say. Talk about how that all came to came to fruition. Yeah, it was it was formerly the AT&T Nation Football Classic and uh, started Man, off the, as one. The, hold on, hold on. The HU Bowl sounds better than that. You, you got to admit that. Yeah, it sure it, does. Yeah, it, it sounds better. But you have to remember, we started <laughs> off with Morehouse and Howard. It wasn't okay. Howard and Hampton in the beginning. For the first four years, we were we were Morehouse and Howard, um, and so it was great, man. I mean, uh, getting to know the folks at, at both those schools, those historic institutions, um, and then uh, developing a relationship with the athletic director at uh, at Hampton um, uh, was was fantastic as well. Um, it was something that our city, I think, needed. You know, I inherited in two thousand and eight a, a football stadium that had no football in it. Right. We're, right. We're, we're at home to D.C. United and play lots of soccer games there, but there's no football being played there. And so, you know, I'm not that bright, but I'm bright enough to figure out, you know, maybe we should put some football in this football stadium. Yeah. And so we first started the military bowl. And then after that, I went, OK, we know we can do football, college football. Let's have the military bowl at the end of the year in December during bowl season. And let's do something at the, towards the beginning of the season in September with an HBCU classic. And so uh, that's how that was born. And it was a lot of fun um, and uh, was really just happy to, to be able to, to give back to D.C. in that way. And, and, and to highlight those institutions, not just their, their players and their football players and their athletes, uh, but to highlight those two institutions, um, both locally and nationally through our broadcast. Eric, you know, building a game like that, bringing so many proud alums together from those two historic, historic black universities. Do those schools, do those campuses get the just do? Like I've seen a lot of people saying now, high major athletes saying, I want to go to a Howard. I want to go to a Hampton. Is, the, is this the time for those campuses and those institutions to get their proper due? Is maybe some of the better talent starts going in and it raises the the optics on, on the game for those schools and universities. Yeah, it's a lot of chicken and chicken and the egg, right? I mean, you know, there there, there were there were times you you go see go see Black Jesus playing at Winston Salem State where Earl of Pearl and, and and guys like that because they didn't have any choice, right? Or they had much more limited choices. I, I think that to the extent that you can get high level recruits, high school recruits choosing HBCUs or even smaller schools, period, frankly, um, I think things could change more quickly in basketball, as Ted knows, because it only takes one or two really good 
guys to to change your program. Football, you need so many more bodies. You need so many more, you know, recruits in order to change a, a football program. But I think that would happen. The, the impediment to that is it's an arms race, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you know, we we my buddy Azar uh, Abdul Rahim, who used to who, who coaches at Boston College, D backs now used to coach at Friendship uh, Collegiate in D.C. Uh, was also on staff at Alabama for a while. I mean, to hear him describe the football facility at Alabama mm-hmm. sounds like a Las Vegas hotel and casino. <laughs> I mean, waterfalls and fountains and yeah. all kinds of stuff. So how's Howard or Hampton or, or A&T or Winston-Salem State, how, how are they going to compete with that? Right. Right. So, so and, and, and how are you going to tell a 18-year-old or 17-year-old kid, no, no, come with us over here where you know, the facilities could use uh, some TLC as opposed to the place where you have your own beautiful locker that's better than some NFL locker rooms and a fountain out there and, and a whole campus and a whole state catering to you in, in many ways. It's a tough sell. It's a tough right. sell. Right. It's a tough sell. So hats off to those young men who've decided, um, who've decided to, to make that choice. You know, right. hats off to them and to those uh, like our boy Kenny Blakeney who, over at Howard who have been able to recruit them successfully. Right. When we when we look at your career, Eric, we see a guy who comes in and may take something, puts his stamp to it, and then it becomes even better. The, describe to us the passion that you have to. I'll use these words: trailblazers, pioneer. To come in and say, "This is good. I like the model, but let me improve it and make it better." Does that drive you every day when you get out of the bed? Well, it's kind oh. of you. To- to say um, that has been certainly my my intention, right? I, I, I enjoy building things. I enjoy building teams. I enjoy investing in people in their own personal and professional development. I enjoy kind of um, going after ambitious goals with a group of people who I know will will take that hill with me, you know, will run through that wall over it, around it, under it as necessary in order to get things done. Um, that I, I like that. It, it makes, you know, it sound corny, but it makes my heart sing to know that we can link in ways like that and do things. And so, yeah, I try to, I try to leave my stamp on, on every organization that, that I'm a part of um, and try to make things a little bit better. Um, you know, lately I've been trying to establish things from the very beginning uh, and stand them up from, from the beginning. I don't know whether I'm a, a, a glutton for punishment or a fool, but uh, I guess we will know sooner rather than later. Uh, it's a lot, lot easier to slightly improve things over here, over there, than it is to create things out of whole cloth. But uh, but there are challenges and, and, and there's satisfaction in all of it. And we, we won't keep you much longer, but there's, there's a question I was talking to Ted before we started. I had to ask you, while you're at Chapel Hill, you're seeing some of the great greatest ACC basketball of all time. Duke wins two national championships. Carolina wins a championship. Put that into words for us, that whole tobacco road, blue bloods, us versus them, eight miles apart, who's better than whom? Because you went to both schools. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know which one, at the end of the day, you, you oh, kind of with. We know which way he goes. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. Now, now, if law school would have been a four-year situation, you know what I mean? It might we might have a little bit, but you know, better chance. But obviously, he's shaking so, his head. It, no. It's so funny. So I I just had this conversation with one of my best friends who went to Duke undergrad and got an MBA from Duke. And I and he's always giving me a hard time about not claiming Duke as much as I should, not relying on that. And I said, <laughs> look, I said what I said what you all fail to understand is 
unlike you cats who didn't know anything about Duke while you were growing up, I have been a North Carolina fan since I can remember, like as a child. My, my, my great uncle integrated UNC in the 50s under court order, right? My father went to law school at Carolina. I had two uncles go to law school at Carolina. I had an aunt go to journalism school. Carolina's in my blood, right? So, so I lived this rivalry my entire life. So just spending three years and hundreds of thousands of dollars for a law degree was not going to undo a lifetime of affinity and love, you know, for, for, for Carolina blue and white. So, uh, but it was a heady time, man. It was, it was great. And, and growing up on ACC basketball and watching those Virginia teams with Ralph Sampson and, uh, and Jeff, um, who was the coach that was at American um, Jeff Jones, Jones, Jeff Jones, Jones. Yeah. And, and, and all those cats and, and, and Mark Price at Georgia Tech and, I mean, and, and Sam Ivey down at Wake Forest. Like, you know, when I got to, so I moved, at, not, not to take too much time, but when I, I moved from New Jersey where I grew up to Greensboro to finish high school because the only place I wanted to go to school was Carolina. And so it's easier to do as an in-state resident than out of state. I, I'm, I'm in my senior uh, so, sociology class uh, at Grimsley High School in Greensboro. And it's ACC tournament time they roll a television into the classroom. The teacher, the teacher, the teacher does this, who had gone to Clemson, rolls a, rolls a television into the classroom, and we watched the ACC tournament that week. How about that? How about that? So, so that, that's, that's Tobacco Road. And, hey, and, and look, Eric, don't Road. forget his cousin, Adrian Branch and Lynn Bias. Oh. Don't forget our boys. How could, how, how could I forget those cats? They, I mean, we were, and, and the wizard and, and, Man, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yay. That's some of the. That's some. Of, I try to tell my my sons now. I said, you, you. I feel bad for you because you have not seen real college basketball. Right. Right. You, you, you. When, when, when Patrick Ewing and Akeem Olajuwon are playing the same game, when you know Ralph Sampson and James Worthy and Michael Jordan and Sam Perkins. I mean, you, you, you know, Thurl Bailey. I mean, you just you don't have any idea what yeah. college basketball looks like. Yeah. We got spoiled. <laughs> and, and and to that point, Eric, what do you make of these down years for two of the titans of NCAA basketball and especially, you know, founding members of the ACC? Duke is suffering with a very immensely talented young team and then Carolina coming off of an abysmal year last year. And now, you know, starting to make some strides. And, and you guys always turn it around in February. You're one of the more dangerous teams. And Roy seems to get there to get these guys going. So what do you make of the times that are going on with Duke and Carolina right now? I think, like you said, that it's having young teams. Uh, I, I, I joke with my Duke friends. I said, you know, last year we decided that if Carolina wasn't going to the tournament, wasn't going to be no tournament. <laughs> So, so, so I was pleased that the whole thing got, got canceled <laughs> and we weren't going to be there. Right. Um, but, but the teams are young, man, and, and, and Roy's system requires a skilled team leader at point guard. Yeah. And with no disrespect to these athletes, and Cole Anthony got hurt, but he was, all, you know, I'm not certain I can remember, Ted, when the last time we had a point guard that knew how to feed the post. Hmm. And we're always going to be bigger, usually, yeah. than most teams. We got three guys that are probably 6'10 or, or, or taller now. Yep. But you got to get them the ball. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I'm not convinced. And I like some of our guys. I, I like what I see. But, you know, Derek Phelps, Ed Coda, you know, uh, King Rice, like I'm used to guys who know how to feed the post. Right. 
and we don't we don't have that. And 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 a, and a point guard, Joel Berry, a point guard that that can run the offense is what Roy's system needs. And without that, it just doesn't go as well. It, it doesn't go as well. And I think we have struggled with that the last couple of years. Yeah, it's funny when I think about Roy and his program, the way he he maintains the the trio of bigs like Carolina of old. They're almost like a throwback in this day of a, day and age because everybody's running the spread offense, stretch forward, very few dinosaurs like me who played in the in the paint. Uh, yep. So it's interesting. Eric, we appreciate you, brother. Thank you for stopping by. Step to no the problem. mic. But before we go, we use a little do a little something called the lightning round. All right. So we ask okay. a couple of questions. So I'm going to jump right in. Now, you've been in Nashville for about, what, five, six months now? Yeah. All right. Chicken wings with mumbo sauce or Nashville oh, hot chicken? I've never really been a big mumbo sauce fan. Oh, man, you out of here. You out of here. Now, my sons would, my sons would, his head would explode right now because he buy, he makes me buy mumbo sauce at the crib uh, for him. So, his, he, but he was born in D.C., raised in D.C. Yeah, I, uh, I take the hot chicken. Oh, man. My man, Eric Moses. Hey, look, we're proud of you, brother. Keep striding out, keep trailblazing. And we're wishing you well on Father's Day when you open up the track. I'm gonna try to get down there to be honest with you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go black on you and ask for tickets, but you know, I might give you a call and say I'm in town, you know, anything laying around on the office floor, you can throw your board. But There's uh a lot of folks coming from DC, so <laughs> you, you, should, you should get on that. It's gonna yeah. be fun. Yeah, I'm gonna be in the I'm gonna be in the caravan, brother. Thank you for joining us, man. For Andre My Jones, pleasure. this is Ted Jeffries. We had the our, our, our guest here, Mr. Eric Moses. Thank you so much, sir. Cool. Thanks, Eric.